0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from the triune God. I'm going to try not to pop my mic this entire sermon like I have every time before. Okay, Zach? Okay. So this is, um, this is quite a gospel that we have today. Um, there's a couple of things happening, the first of which I just want to get this out of the way, that this story is just bursting with the patriarchy. <laughs> like the idea that what's going to stump Jesus is a story that's all about a woman being property. Is, is really something. But I really appreciate Jesus' answer, because even though he doesn't say, psych, the woman belongs to none of these men, that's what he's saying. He's basically saying, like, guys, in the resurrection, we're not going to have the patriarchal institution of marriage and leverite marriage anymore. What is wrong with you? But to... So I just want to get that out of the way. Because... Because you guys know what I think about the patriarchy, I'm sure, and I think I know what most of you think about the patriarchy, and while I'm happy to preach against it for half an hour at a time, today is not that day. (laughs) Today, I'm talking about the resurrection, so we're doing that. Yeah, so that's what we're doing today, so I just wanted to say, no one needs to be like, Pastor Tori didn't talk about how patriarchal that nonsense was, I did it. So, take that and put it over here. Okay. So we've done that. Now let's just, let's just get some context for this weird, this weird story. Um, So if you grew up in a church where you went to Sunday school a lot, you probably learned who the Sadducees were. But if you didn't, or if you've forgotten, um, the Sadducees were one of the many Jewish sects that were kind of like bubbling around in Jerusalem during this time. There's a lot of different Jewish sects. And um the both the Sadducees and the Pharisees get a very bad rap in the Bible because it's basically like the level of enmity that you would hear at a really bad family argument in the Thanksgiving dinners you're gonna have in a couple of weeks. Like nobody nobody fights worse with anybody outside their family, right? So like you get the into the most horrible, the meanest, the like most like knockdown, drag out, dirty fights. And arguments with your family, the people who you love the most. And especially when you're arguing about things like theology and politics. And so that's kind of what was going on in Judaism at the time, is that it was just a giant argument about the future of the religion, what we thought about certain things. And Jesus has gone to Jerusalem, even though that was a really foolhardy thing to do. And he's standing in the temple court, and he's just like, come at me, bro. To everybody who wants to talk to him about theological questions that they have. And so the Sadducees, who were a group of Jews who were very, like, they were super literalist about the Torah. They were, they were really only interested in their authority of things that were not even in the rest of Jewish scripture, just what they attributed to Moses, specifically. And that's why they didn't believe in the resurrection. Because they thought it isn't explicitly written in the Torah, so it can't be real and we're going to stump this Jesus guy by giving him this absurd story about a Leverite marriage situation. Um, but what Jesus does is brilliant because he, he kind of sees what they're doing, and, and he's like, okay, I see what's behind this question, which is, the resurrection can't be real? That's ridiculous. And he answers that question instead. And I think it's important to talk about that because the crazy idea that people are in fact raised from the dead is a core tenet of the Christian faith. And I'm sure that everyone here has had or been this person, had people come to them like the resurrection can't be real. That's ridiculous. It's a metaphor. It's they made it up to make it seem like Jesus hadn't died all these reasons. And you have to then, if you're me especially and it's your job, say well I understand that you think that but I in fact believe that Jesus was physically raised from the dead and someday I will be too. And then usually what happens is the conversation is over. <laughs> but, but I'm here to tell you, like Mary Magdalene standing outside the tomb that I have seen the Lord I have seen the dead raised and Uh, When I have seen it most recently is in Nogales, Arizona, and Mexico, which is where I spent the last week with a group of Episcopalians um, from my other job. Um, So I just want to contextualize this for a a little bit for you guys because I know some of you I told about this trip, but most of you probably didn't even know that I was down there. So there's this organization called Cruzando Fronteras, which is a joint Lutheran-Episcopal endeavor. Um, And they were formed just a couple of years ago in response to the crisis-level situation that was happening on our southern border. And to be clear, it was a crisis not because of the people who were coming here to try and not die. It was a crisis because we didn't know what to do with them. And we were like, well, we can't possibly let all these people in here. And so then uh, there, were, there were thousands of people in all the ports of entry in San Diego and Nogales and El Paso and like all throughout the southern border with the U.S. people were fleeing truly horrific situations in Central America, in Mexico. Um, and they turned up like Christ and his parents being like, hey, is there any room for me here? And we all and we were like, oh God, no. But now, what do we do with you? So, this specific organization they they started was started by an Episcopal deacon and a Lutheran pastor, who were like, well, we can't just leave people to suffer. That's not a good idea. Um, and so they they were like, what can we do to help? And so what they did was they started uh, a shelter for people to wait in Mexico for their asylum interviews. So when you, when you I'm not going to go into a whole thing about U.S. immigration policy right now, but when, when you're trying to, when you're fleeing for your life to, and you're trying to get to the U.S. where you hope and pray that you will be safe, you flee for your life all the way through Mexico and then you arrive at the Mexico-U.S. border and you walk yourself up to the port of entry where people in blue uniforms ask you if you have a US passport and you say no, I, but I would like to have asylum. They give you a number and they tell you to go wait until it's, your number comes up. Um, and this is new. This is a policy that happened the last couple of years. Uh, and so people were in Nogales, Arizona, and they had nowhere to go. And uh, unscrupulous people started shelters where they would ask people to pray a certain way to be let in or they would ask them to pay, or they would be fronts for cartels who would then traffic people into slavery in this country. And so what Roger and Mateo did was that they found a a vacant house and they turned it into a shelter, which was immediately full. And what I did was I took a group of 10 people down there And we crossed the border and back and forth and back and forth and we hung out with the people who live in the shelter and got to know them and hear their stories, and we heard from the border patrol and we heard from people who drop water in the desert and we heard from everybody who we could think of who spends time in this borderland, and then we had to come back and wonder what we were supposed to do now. And one of the things that I knew I had to do was preach this Sunday and. I, when I heard, especially this, this passage from Job, for as for me, I know my Redeemer lives. And at the last, I will see him face to face. I, was immediately, I immediately thought of some of the people that I met. And one of the stories that I would like to share with you is at, be, at the beginning, before they started the shelter, there were all these people in Nogales, um, which is really one city with a giant metal fence going through it. People have family on either side of the border. Um, they, used to, um, they used to go on Sundays and have lunch together and they would pass food back and forth between the fence but then um, the administration changed and they put all this mesh up so people couldn't do that anymore. And there's this one couple that goes still every Sunday and they, um, they still have lunch on either side of the wall and talk to each other and they can't touch anymore because this mesh is there, but they'll put their hands on either side of the mesh wall, and that's as close as they get to be. But anyway, in the beginning, when all these people came to Nogales, they were sleeping, they were sleeping anywhere they could sleep, and what started happening was, was that they were sleeping in the cemeteries, because they thought that... The cartels are really superstitious, so they thought that if they were sleeping with the dead, they would be safe. And Mateo and Roger and an amazing nun called Sister Lika, who is Mexican, went around to all of the people sleeping in the cemeteries and asked them if they would please like to come inside. Um, And they had to convince people that if they did come inside, they would be safe. Um, and many people said they prefer to stay sleeping with the dead. But for the people who didn't, um, this this shelter is as close to a family home as they can make it. And so they, the, these the people who are living in this shelter have been through I mean, they've all, every one of them has a a story of suffering that brought them there. Nobody leaves their family and walks thousands of miles uh, because they just feel like it. And a lot of these folks brought their little tiny kids. So there were all of these children. And it was amazing. It was amazing to see how safe they felt there. Every time we would pull up in the van and Roger with his truck, all this, like, crowd of kids would just come running out and they would go, Royer, 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 which is how they ro- Roger in Spanish. Um, and they would scream his name until he got out of his truck and then they would immediately just like, there would be like a a wall of children that would just hit him. And he's this like very solidly built like middle-aged white guy from Pennsylvania. Um, he like moved to Nogales of uh, 25 years ago and he's married to a woman from Mexico and he, I mean, he's very Arizona now, but it's, he still has his Pennsylvania accent. And so he's, his Spanish is accented, like he's from Pennsylvania. And he, they, they would just, like, he would get out and he'd go, ah, and they would go, like, like right into him. And then once they'd spent, like, two hours with us, they would do the same thing to us. So we would get out of the van, and they were like, well, you're friends of Rogers. And they would, I would, like, tackle us, too. And the difference, I mean, this is what I'm talking about when I say I've seen the dead raised. These, these folks have gone from having no hope, from being in fear of their lives, from feeling like they don't have any good choices, like they can choose to stay where they are and die, or they can choose to cross the Sonora Desert and die. And instead, these kind Christians have come to them and said, no, actually, there's a third option where you get to live. And they ask for nothing in return. They, they're fed, they're clothed, they're housed, they're given medical care, they're given legal support. There's a woman who tried to cross, she, she and her sister decided they didn't want to wait to cross, so they, they tried to cross and they got caught, and now she's in detention. And he found out where she was, which is in Denver. And he was like, Roger was immediately like, well, okay, she's going to Denver, um, what do you guys think? And we were all like, "Okay, great. We can we can visit her. We'll figure it. We'll figure it out." But he knows where, like every person in, in that house. He knows where they're going. He knows what they need next. He'll drop whatever he's doing to help them. And what I'm saying is that's what that's what giving life means. That's what being. If we're gonna be if we're gonna be God's people, if we're gonna be the God of the living's people, then we also have to live and we have to bring life with us wherever we go. And that's what, that's what I saw, was, was the difference, the difference between having no hope and feeling like you have nothing to realizing that somebody loves and cares for you and that you might have a chance. And that little bit is all it takes. And I know that everybody in this room has had moments like that in their own lives where you thought you, you thought, maybe you thought you knew you had nothing and had no hope. Or maybe you were just sleepwalking through your life and someone came to you and, and with the hands and face of Jesus said, Hey, no, no, you're not really living, but, but you can let me, let me help you. You don't have to sleep out here with the dead anymore. You can come in here and be, and be fed with me. And at its best, that's what church does, right? When I was growing up, you guys know, you've heard me tell my own faith story. I, I lived in, I grew up in a church that I didn't feel, I knew I couldn't be my full self in. I couldn't show up as my whole self. And I stayed there a really long time. And I didn't even realize that I was living like a half-life. Like I really was just kind of going through the motions of my life. And it wasn't until I got to that breaking point where I was like, I can't do this anymore, that I left. And, and it, I still don't think I was fully alive until I went into the first church that unconditionally offered me communion. And it was like, somebody had re-illuminated like, my, the entire world. Like I'd been living in grayscale and I didn't even know because there was a whole dimension of my life that I had not been living in. I had, not been, I had not been experiencing the truth that I was a beloved child of God who had a place, who had gifts to offer, and that I could be of service to other people and do that without trying to pretend I was someone I'm not. And I know that many of you are here at house because that's the experience that you had. And what I implore you to do, my beloved siblings in Christ, is to do that everywhere you go. And to remember the stories I've told you today and to resist the urge to say, oh, that's really far away, that doesn't apply to me, oh, but what if they take our jobs, whatever, and to remember the difference it makes to somebody to be told that they do, in fact, get to live. Amen. You have been listening to the Sermon Podcast for House for All Sinners and Saints. If you like what you've been hearing and would like to support the ongoing ministry of our church, just go to our website, www.houseforall.org, and click on Give.